How would you like to disappear? Have you ever uh, golden showered? I mean, it doesn't hurt or anything. I want to send you out there to see if you can attract this guy. How do you know you're going to end up the same person when it's over? Six bags and a hundred dollars. You also got yourself a David Prince's running water. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along and help us creating a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon, we decide on the official ratings and rankings of every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes a month, uh, which there are now a back catalog for you guys. I think we've done four episodes now. Yeah, uh, it's been a lot of fun, and we've got a lot of great feedback from the patrons who've been listening to those episodes. So if you want to hear those, uh, head on over to Patreon.com/slash/SleazoidsPodcast. Get your money's worth. Uh, and there's your there's your plug for the week. Other yeah. than iTunes, uh, yes. go to Please iTunes and give us a good old rating. You love it, you hate it. We want to hear your opinion. We'll read it on the show. Which I guess uh, we got to do. Uh, maybe yeah, we got week. one. We got a couple. Right, we got we got one, but I was a little confused by it. But we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we get into that, last week, la- yeah. <laughs> last week we we totally blanked on thanking all the new patrons, and we now have a backlog of patrons to thank. So I'm gonna rip through this one. Thanks so much to. We got it right here. Jack Feeney, uh, Andrew over at the Boone Vista Socialist Club, who was actually a guest on the show, who had so much fun oh, on the yeah, show that yeah. he has now uh, been convinced to sign up. He signed up after our first blood episode and he had <laughs> actually had a note for us in the discussion board where he mentioned that he recently watched Chronicles of Riddick, the Vin Diesel oh, film. Nice. And he they said that all of them to Netflix. Like yeah, that. he said watching that one uh, actually reminded him of the bit in First Blood that we mentioned where the forest scene where it kind of turns into a bit of a slasher film where oh, Rambo cool. kind of becomes the, the Jason right. character in that situation. He said that Riddick actually totally rips that off and does the same oh, thing cool. with Vin Diesel and he said that was a lot of fun. I haven't watched those in forever. Uh, we also have Simon, just Simon. I think he's got a, a <laughs> some sort of race car picture, though. Thanks, Simon. Um, we've also got Tom Golden. Oh, I'm going to butcher this one. Ta- Tazio Gallardi, uh, Lucinda Mason, and Andrew McMahon. Those are all the patrons that we've got in the last, like, two weeks. So Thank thanks so, so much, much for for joining us on this, uh, this sleazy quest that we've got going on here. <laughs> patrons, you guys would have last heard from us two weeks ago. Or wait, no? No, last week. Last week we did uh oh shit we did heat oh yeah two weeks ago would have been our uh, two troll. weeks was troll troll yeah. yeah so we talked troll two we had Shannon uh, of Strucci movies on to talk troll two uh, and the documentary on the making of troll two the supposed worst movie of all time best yeah. worst movie which was a lot of fun to talk oh, about yeah uh, one uh, our patron sure. AJ Albright said that he's never really been a fan of movies that are cult hits of 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 that nature, which like was kind of bad. Yeah. Which yeah. was kind of like what I, what I kind of ha- sure. felt a little bit too. I guess he felt there was a little bit too much ironic sneering and laughing. Mm. Uh, although we kind of addressed it on the show that there is a lot of genuine love that those fans have for that film as well. Yeah. Um, but that, so that was a lot of fun. And then patrons, that was the heat up. Yeah. You guys would have heard yeah. from us when we talked heat and point break last week. 
which was probably our longest episode yeah, yet. We had a lot because we say. couldn't stop talking about Heat. No, we it was like good old hour long discussion. Over those films, yeah. yeah, we got to see it on the big screen. We were real excited about it. So yeah, if you haven't heard that one, um, patrons, you're paying for it. Go check it out. And if you're not a patron, uh, go become a patron. Please and you do. Get, and you can go get that episode and all future bonus episodes that we do, which we've got some crazy ones uh, lined up for yeah, you in the coming some real weeks. Good ones. So, but without further ado, we have a very special guest this week on who has brought with him two very interesting films that neither Jamie or I uh, had ended up seeing. And this is going to be a bit of a crazy one. Yeah. Uh, I think we, we congratulated Danny Bowes for bringing on the sleaziest one yet. But I think <laughs> I, I, know, I yeah. think this one might, might, might knock it out. Uh, <laughs> Danny brought on Basic Instinct and Black Rain when he, when he came on, brought it on some good Paul Verhoeven. Uh, but this week we have Jacob Knight. Jacob, how you doing, man? Good. How you guys doing? Good. Uh, we're doing excellent. What films have you brought with this week? Uh, brought with you this week, and why have you paired them together? Well, this week I brought uh, William Friedkin's Cruising from 1980, and then uh, Gary Sherman's Vice Squad from 1982. Uh, both, I would say, if you were to put a name to the double bill, it would basically be. Uh, cop procedurals in the kind of sexual underworld. Mm. Uh, and they were made very close, obviously, in time period. And I think they capture, uh, with cruising, an East Coast, uh, specifically New York City time period and kind of the gay sexual leather lifestyle and leather S&M lifestyle of the late 70s. And then Vice Squad captures... Uh, kind of the skid row uh, sex trade with pimps and prostitutes. So I think they pair. I actually watched them both back to back today. I think they pair quite well together. Yeah, and and you said that uh, cruising is is East Coast, and uh, uh, the other one, Vice Squad, is Hollywood uh, Sunset Strip, right? Yeah. It's, so there's it's, a very yeah, different uh, location, cool. but there's yeah. a there's a lot that these films share. But yeah, thanks so much for bringing bringing these films. This was a hell of a journey yeah. for uh, both of us who had never seen either. Cruising, uh, especially, was on my watch list, and it was I, I needed to get around to it. So this was good motivation. Uh, but what do you say? Get into it. Cruising. Cruising. Let's do it. What he experiences. What he discovers will change his life forever. Al Pacino. Who's here? I'm here. Yeah, here. Cruising. All right, so we are talking cruising. The 1980 cd noirish crime film written and directed by william friedkin of uh the exorcist fame uh the film stars al pacino paul servino and karen allen and is loosely based on the same on the novel of the same name by new york times reporter gerald walker about a serial killer that targets gay men uh associated with the s&m leather scene in the late 1970s so this is a film yeah uh (laughs) Hell of a film. Holy shit. Uh, they don't hold back at all. <laughs> Jacob, why don't you guide us through your thoughts on the first little bit of cruising here? 
Well, I mean, I think cruising's incredible to watch more or less because it acts almost more as a document than it does a straight narrative. Like you have this uh, sort of slasher procedural, I guess for people who have never seen it, it's about Al Pacino as a uh, undercover cop who goes into the leather underworld of New York City in the late 70s and early 80s to catch a serial killer. And he is basically immersed in this fantasy world that's Mm. incredible. And if you've ever watched any kind of pornography from the time, like this movie feels almost visually linked to a lot of uh, gay porno at the time. I have a friend here in Austin who loves – uh, who's almost like a, a historian when it comes to gay pornography and he'll <laughs> he'll run through stuff and be like man it's it's crazy how much Friedkin was obviously like uh, immersed himself and either and was very very uh, knowledgeable of that scene of, and of the art that was basically emerging from that scene in terms of sexuality and it's it's pretty remarkable yeah, no, it definitely yeah. is. And, and he uh, he actually was able to go and get real locations for these bars. And a lot of the um, occupants of the bars are who played extras in the film were actually... Uh, oh, they're a part of the scene? Yeah, well, no, but they were actually like people who went to these bars on the regular. Like apparently he went into okay. the... He went to two really popular gay bars at the time. And he just kind of recruited people who were there and were like, do you want to come and be in here and just do your thing? But maybe a little bit less explicit, if you could, just for certain scenes. Yeah. Um, but he also didn't shy away from that um, because well, there are there also, are... there's also the famed uh, for cruising, the famed 20 minutes of apparent either hardcore or borderline hardcore because the footage has been lost. That was excised by the mm-hmm. MPAA. Um, yeah, it was like 40 minutes was cut, more, right? Is it 40? I could, the number always has fluctuated throughout <laughs> the year. I think when I read 20. up on it, I think they said it was a whole 40 minutes, but it wasn't just, uh, it might've been 20 minutes of like, graphic sex and then it oh, was 20 okay, minutes. I was ask, is it explicit? Sex? Yeah, it that, was. Uh, okay. and, and it was also 20 minutes that sort of made the plot a little less ambiguous in terms of Pacino's, uh, eventual arc in this film, which sure. we definitely got to get into yeah <laughs> for me that's almost like what like my 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 big thought around the film kind of revolves around is 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 well, let's get into it so the movie yeah. the movie kind of kicks off and it, it takes a bit for pacino to actually get into the film it's like 15 or yeah. 20 minutes before pacino is even introduced yeah. uh and it kind of gets you into this uh this headspace of this really sort of almost abstract killings that are happening mm-hmm. um this this guy it actually reminded me a little bit of what Fincher would end up doing with with Zodiac where it's just these very sort of blunt brutal but very heavily stylized in terms of of, of cutting and uh, yeah. the actual rhythm and some of the saturation and grain that eventually gets into these shots as he's stabbing um, you know these these victims and he has this line where he's like you made me do this or you made me do that yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's got this really like creepy like monotone voice as he says it and either way it kind of gets you into there's a serial killer targeting gay men in this particular scene because in this sort of, as Jacob put it, this is sort of like this fantasy world where they can escape from their their mundane lives that we see other uh, gay men have. Right. Um, and basically, uh, Pacino is sent undercover by, 
I don't even remember who the guy is. This is the chief. Just we'll the chief. <laughs> it's like, you know what, guy? Paul Servino. Oh, Paul Paul Servino. oh, it's Paul Servino. Oh, okay. I missed out on that. I introduced him already. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he says specifically to Pacino, he's like, look, you got the look. You got the hair. We need you're 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 the you're the best looking dude that yeah. fits the the type of this killer. We need you to go into the sort of leather underworld gay scene, and we need you to uncover this this killer for us. And what sort of unfolds as because it kicks off as sort of a what seems sort of like a traditional procedural, and what unfolds is a lot more psychological about sort of Pacino's own uh, awakening and discovery of maybe a repression that he didn't know that he you know was put on him and that's where the film gets really really interesting it uh, so much so that it almost forgets the sort of murder mystery that it sets up at the beginning yeah yeah i also love how the chief kind of introduces the scene or or maybe just the case to pacino like he doesn't ease him into it or anything i think the first thing he asks him is like you ever smoke pole (laughs) <laughs> or something like that. And I'm like, I, I damn, dude. The, I think the exact quote is, uh, "Have you ever had your cock sucked by a man?" Oh. You're like, All <laughs> right, even more graphic. <laughs> yeah, just even more specific. <laughs> and I just, I found that interesting. That you'd think that just because uh, I mean, he doesn't know Pacino's background or anything like that. Um, so yeah. to to just like it's pretty abruptly, forward, yeah. yeah, ask him like that. I was that was crazy. And uh, Pacino didn't seem that taken aback by it. He pretty much took the case. Uh, without too much hassle, if yeah, I remember some, correctly. I think some people sort of have complaints that Pacino is sort of like a bit of an enigma at the heart of this film. Sure. And what Friedkin's kind of said about that was that the stuff that he had to cut was the stuff that would have made him more it clear. And that And oh, that he, okay. he actually kind of felt it did work to have so, Pacino sort of be malleable and susceptible and kind of just reacting to the things around him rather than being sort of like a force of, you know, the uh, of the actual trajectory. But, so was the... the the scenes that were cut, they were they they got rid of the ambiguous. We'll never we'll never really Hard, know for oh, sure. So it's not out there at all. No, it's I think I, Jacob. Okay. Uh, the the footage is lost, right? That's what Friedkin says about it. As as far as anybody knows, it was pretty much dis- either lost or destroyed just through like studio changeover and things like that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, but it is also worth uh, kind of noting as we go through. Uh, Pacino's role is that uh, the individual Randy Jurgensen, you know, the cop that's kind of in the early scenes where they're uh, examining the first body uh, mm. that the killer leaves for them. Um, it, he was obviously was a police sergeant in the French Connection and was a technical advisor on The Godfather. But a lot of the Pacino character is based on his real uh, experience as a police detective. He actually went undercover into this uh, gay world to basically help try and catch a killer in the early 70s, mm. uh, right around the time that the book Cruising was published. So he was acting as almost uh, also as a, an at in his basically capacity as an actor, but also as a technical advisor on here, helping Freed can write the screenplay even in certain points. Oh, Interesting. Wow. Yeah, so it's, yeah. Very, it's very much similar to what we were talking about when we last week when we were talking Heat and Michael Mann and that he has that detective who sort of consulted with him on that because both seem sort of interested in this uh, 
the real both like mundane procedural experiences and also sort of the deep the, the yeah. more uh seedy psychological aspect of it that you know some of these people go through which uh because is probably can, some of the best material in this film that they're possibly not right so i mean yeah. they're 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 truly acting when they're under oh and there, there's one scene in this that blows my mind when i watch it uh when i watched it for the first time i like lost it and i had to actually rewind it and go back and watch <laughs> it again uh the bit where pacino he he spent a couple days getting into the zone He's, yeah. he's like, he's, he's kind of, he, he's been slowly making his way in walking around the bar and, 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 and he's yeah. been, he's been pushing a little bit. And when he gets pushed back, he goes, okay, don't do that. Cause mm-hmm. he, and that's how he's been sort of learning the codes. Cause he can't just go up and be like, Hey, how, how do I know how to interact in this sort of weird silent fantasy, um, sort of landscape where all these people already implicitly know the interactions and how to code and how to get what you want. And, yeah. uh, so he's trying to learn all that stuff. And he shows up one night and he's got his outfit finally all picked out. He's like, all right, I am perfect. I got, I, I have learned the bandana code from Powers Booth oh, of yeah, Deadwood. Oh, yeah, colors that yeah. In- indicate each he's, sexual He's act, like, I yeah. finally figured all of this out. I'm going to go in and I'm really going to actually perform tonight. And it's going to work out. And he goes in and it's goddamn precinct night. And everybody in the whole is club is dressed as a cop. <laughs> Except for him. And it's just a massive orgy of cops. Yeah, and the the guy comes up to him and he says, you a cop? Because (laughs) only a cop would not know about (laughs) Precinct Night. (laughs) Such a good moment. And and the look on Al Pacino's face as like, you know, he's spent so long getting into this psychological zone to actually, you know, do well. And it just gets entirely crushed out of him and he leaves. And one dude notices, I think, on his way out and he feels like this guy's probably a newbie and he goes after him. And I think that ends up being the guy that he falsely fingers as possibly the killer. And they end up, um, uh, the police end up, I think, getting a little, um, I mean, they assault the shit out of him, basically. Uh, if it, which they also kind of have at the be the beginning too, where they kind of open with the police uh, sort of assaulting and sexually assaulting the sort of trans women outside. Yeah. So yeah. there's there's a lot of gross stuff happening in this in this movie, um, but they don't paint cops in a very good light. That's for damn not sure. in not in this one. At you, least at least well, p- I mean Pacino. We don't we don't know. I guess there's an, an ambiguous. Well, even if there, anything, but. he has a bit of a falling out with them when he's just like, "Look, I said this could possibly be the guy. I didn't say like beat him to death. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. like at that you know like that's you know I didn't I didn't want you to just target this man because he's gay. Like I thought possibly he was he you know he he approached me. He came after me. I thought this could possibly be the be the killer. Right. Um. But what gets really interesting is we kind of mentioned a bit earlier was that the film really blurs the lines of the murder mystery as it goes on. And there's a couple more mm-hmm. killings sort of sprinkled out throughout the rest of the film. The most, the, the most showy one I think is the movie theater one, which, uh, is, oh, when they go it, in the is room. wild. Yeah. When they go into the, they, they go into the gay porn theater sort yeah. of together. Um, and you get clips of hardcore gay porn followed by the dude just stabbing the dude hard in the back yeah. and you get the projector behind his head and it's all grainy. I think I actually tweeted the pictures of this and then you get the, the projected theater screen with like uh, the silhouette of the knife coming up and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, it's also really terrifying. Always, the killer, I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he always stabs them in the back. Yeah. I don't think there's ever a moment where he kills somebody any other way. Yeah. There's, there's always so. a different circumstance and a different setup, but I feel once he gets there and, and, 
kills the the victim, it seems like he always stabs them in the back, which I just yeah. found. I, I don't know if I didn't have a theory on that. It's but a I was unique tick, maybe... and it, it's possible they would have covered it in the Friedkin extra footage. I don't know. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's betraying them, right? Like it's kind of oh, a that's a symbolic good thing yeah. to me, or it's always been is that it's him. He's literally uh, stabbing them in the stabbing back, stabbing his own sexuality in the back. Okay, okay, I gotcha. Okay, yeah, that's a good read. That, that makes yeah. a lot of sense, actually. That, yeah, that, that's really <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but there's also uh, to kind of bounce back to the corrupt cops who are kind of abusing these. Uh, working girls on the street and stuff too is uh, you have Joe Spinell who has obviously worked uh, for many years during the seventies for everything from the Godfather. But this is in the same year that he made maniac with Bill Lustig, which is another uh, kind of sweaty, gross New York city uh, document uh, to where he kind of became the face of corruption and perversity all in one year. Congrats. So good for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the, uh, that's a good way of putting it. It's, it's sort of like weirdly sweaty and, and fleshy, and it feels in Friedkin's wheelhouse too because I kept thinking of The Exorcist while watching this just because this, mm. this also feels – I think uh, it was uh, Philippe on Letterboxd wrote something along the lines of that it, it feels just as much like a demonic possession film. Yeah, um, that, that there's there's some like psychological transformation happening inside Al Pacino um, and that's happening in this fantasy world that is having and how it's manifesting in the, you know, reality and the physical world that we're seeing. Yeah. Uh, and that's where you get into this sort of like gross mutilation and you get into, you know, some <laughs> some really uh, seedy stylization. And it's it's pretty wild to watch. Yeah. I, the uh, that orgy scene actually reminded me of the. Uh, orgy scene in uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, yeah. Like when they just, he opened, he, you just walk into the room and everybody's just fucking basically and just going crazy. It, it kind of reminded me of that uh, a little bit. See, what's more interesting is I think you're right that there's sort of like this weird, there's definitely a tiny bit of like a, a, a confusion and a repulsion. F. Yeah. But but what's more interesting that Friedkin does I don't here know if is there's. Re- repulsion is, is the word exactly when it yeah. comes to Pacino. He seems like. He seems taken aback for sure. Yeah, but I don't. I think the camera does I think anyway. He's intrigued. I really do. Yeah. Um, although you know, there's a the question it, of but there is who also is, that but. allure, especially, and that's what really distinguishes yeah. it. Because eventually, when Pacino gets in, and I think one of the most important sequences is the bit where the one dude gives him a drug. Mm-hmm. And he starts getting into the dancing. Oh and, yeah, and everything everything just starts to sort of of blur, blur. And, the, and the and the motions. He he gets so into it, and yeah, it's very it's very sweaty, and he feel he almost seems like he's he's possessed, and yeah. he doesn't really know. And again, he feels connected to something though. Yeah, too. these yeah. these are he. It's almost like he's discovered himself and yeah. things he didn't know that he what would what would have wanted to be involved in. Yeah, like a sense of freedom he hasn't experienced before. Yeah, and it, it feels like because he's maybe been repressed by maybe his his culture as a as a police officer, or maybe just as a very straight laced masculine man, mm-hmm. or you, you know, it, it, it what sort of opens up is. Uh, I guess we haven't mentioned it yet. His relationship with his girlfriend starts right. to sort of slowly change as he seems 
sort of opening up to these new experiences. Yeah. Um, and he seems to be sort of getting a little bit r- rougher with her. And at one point he even like hears the club music yeah. to get in the mood or while, something while like that. Having sex. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and like, it's like he can't escape that nightlife. Anymore. Little touches like that really separate this. And there's a, there's even an early moment when right after he accepts the job too, to where he, he says to her and Friedkin does this really cryptic, like close up with him where he's like, there's a lot of things you don't know about me. Yes. yes. And it's, it's almost like, that's like the defining quote for me in this movie. <laughs> yeah. They, and they, but it's good to remember like this, the movie was met with a lot of hostility mm-hmm. from games when it was released and was protested even when, you know, it was being made and everything. But like the idea that Friedkin keeps weaving in, in terms of, uh, the the fantastical element of this w- lifestyle is that you know you could read Pacino's character as being kind of your typical undercover cop of you know I don't know which way is up anymore I'm in over my head blah 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 but really it it could be him buying it into the fantasy of who he finally is too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It actually allows him kind of like these wall street brokers and guys who work on Madison Avenue to come down here. And I mean, like if you want to fist a guy, you can fist a guy. That's fine. <laughs> and it's a, it's only going to happen in this world. And he finally loves that because can like contrast the way that he is in the beginning, as you guys kind of pointed out, like he doesn't know that wearing a yellow hanky in his back pocket means he <laughs> likes to get pissed on yeah. um, to where like at the end where he's actually stalking, he's got his suspect, he's narrowed everything down and he actually follows this guy into the park. He cruises him on a park bench and then takes him. They take each other to basically a tunnel and like they throw down and he's full on taking his pants off and talking in shorthand to where he's like, do you, do you want hips or lips? Do you <laughs> You know, it's almost like I like the unspoken uh, element of that whole scene towards the end is that like Pacino's character, Steve Burns, has definitely had sex with a few men at this point. And he's probably enjoyed it. Like he's totally bought into this lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. You just never saw it. Yeah. There's there's no real scene where it seems like he's having a a, a struggle with the actions that he's had to take. Like, I don't, I might be mistaken there, but it seems like he's, as he, as the film progresses, it seems like he just becomes more and more comfortable. And there was never a scene. I don't think where he is like, you know, he, let's say he does something with a guy and then he returns home and like, you know, he's has like, a oh cry God. about it. No, or something. no, no, no. There's he's... none of that. And, uh, and, and it really kind of paints that ambiguous nature of it's like, is he is he enjoying it? Is he is it a part of him that oh, he's I, I almost I almost think it's, it's unquestionable. Awesome. I think it's a case of that he just like there is something unspoken about it, but he definitely if it, it feels more like he's just never been exposed to this. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden he is and he's like I actually actually like this. Yeah. Um, and he feels like just his previous life wouldn't have led him to discovering it unless something this hyper specific happens. Yeah. <laughs> unless <laughs> unless the dude was killing guys in this in this scene. Well, and then what what gets interesting is it intertwines him with the killer. Yeah. Which is where this really gets. We're talking more near like the last fifteen. Yeah. Minutes we're here. we're talking near sort of near the end, and um, as we kind of pull into the final reel, it gets a little. 
uh, it gets really ambiguous on exactly who the killer is, and the film doesn't answer it cleanly. I think some yeah. people would argue it does I, answer it, yeah. but it doesn't answer it in the cleanest way possible because it only hints at the possibility that maybe Pacino is in so much and maybe that he's so tormented about what to do with these new urges that he has and he doesn't feel it merges with the life that he previously had with his girlfriend and as a cop that maybe that translated into possibly him killing people as well and I think Friedkin has said that his other footage is more clear on this and that he did make Pacino a killer but I like this version of the film that it is there's there's more ambiguity here and I think that that's important because I think it 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 creates a story where it's not necessarily an individual killer, which is what I think some people would complain about the film and that they would say that it's sort of regressive to say that they're specifically, it's a gay individual gay man killing other gay men. Uh Uh, Whereas this feels more like it is a, a community action that takes place because of both Pacino being repressed by his previous life and what's hinted at is that the other person who he thinks is the killer also being repressed by his previous life from some sort of father figure that was, um, you know, maybe definitely not okay with his sexuality, but the, the rest is to be found in the destroyed footage. I imagine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Uh, and there's also like sort of a, I hesitate to call it a love story element, mm. but the the bond that develops Ted, between right? uh, Steve Burns and his new next door neighbor, Ted, the mm. playwright, um, is really fascinating as well because I think – and I think is essential to kind of understanding the film overall is because you can always paint it. And the majority of it really is this uh, very seedy, almost touristy – kind of look at this uh, gay leather S&M world. But then Ted's existence is very much the uh, almost like the counterpoint to that, because he even says early on, he's like, I'm I'm terrified to cruise people like I don't I don't do that. I don't go downtown like he's just this playwright basically trying to scratch this living together. And he and uh, Steve really developed this this affection for one another, and it, it by the end of it, I mean, I don't know if we're allowed to go into spoilers. But oh, we definitely sure. are. Go for it. Do okay, it. so by the end of it, uh, when Ted is stabbed to death uh, because there's kind of a spat between Steve and uh, Ted's boyfriend who returns home um, after. Uh, being away and acting in plays in a while, who is, um, I'm blanking on the actor's name, but he was, James Remar plays mm. uh, Ted Ted's boyfriend. They kind of have a spat. And you see that uh, Steve at this point is very much, there's a jealousy going on uh, that Ted is actually true, like truly taken. And this guy has come in and has basically said, no, this is a bad time. You're not allowed to come knock on our door during dinner. (laughs) And uh, it's, it's interesting to me because I feel like when the movie was being protested, it was being very hyper specifically protested. And even uh, when it's called, and it is by a lot of people labeled homophobic and it does have some antiquated, attitudes let's say towards uh you know gay people in general but like the film is way more complicated than i think a lot of people yeah, would I, criticize I, it for being i yeah. think you, if you zero right in on the shock elements of these of guys like toting around gimps 
and sucking off nightsticks and fisting dudes in bars. Like, yeah, I mean, you're that's probably what you're going to take away from it. But at the same time, uh, it was very interesting to see, especially during the 70s when pornography was at its height and uh, gay pornography was at its height as well. And gay pornography kind of uh, allowed um, gay filmmakers kind of this first genre to really play with and explore inside of. It was interesting to see Freakin kind of bring those aesthetic and sexual sensibilities to a big studio picture because I'd uh, I'd be you know quick to argue that this movie is very erotic mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot of strange way because it's very fleshy, it's very tangible, it's very sweaty, but it's in a way that's like these men are getting off on this and that's kind of okay in terms of Friedkin's lens. Mm-hmm. Right, for sure. And I mean, I don't think they paint the the overall scene. Sure, it's it's a little, you know, odd for people that aren't a part of a scene that's a, a, even similar to that Part at of all. the specific subculture but, in general. But I don't yeah. think it says anything really negative about it. Uh, I mean... It's, I guess some people well, you, would. Uh, you said that John Waters had a really good quote, and it was it was something to do with you know it's like heterosexuality is boring or something <laughs> like that. Uh, what what was it? It was. Oh yeah, no, I had I think it was Eric Henderson at, at at Slant wrote a wrote a great review of this film where basically he was sort of tackling head on the criticisms from the gay you know some of the gay activists at the at the time for this, and he was saying that look, John Waters had this great quote where he said. <laughs> that the heterosexual, or not even John, it's in his film, uh, Pink oh. Flamingos, where oh, okay. the character says uh, okay. uh, the heterosexuality is sick and boring, <laughs> and that he thought that movies like, say, not necessarily uh, sort of the more oscar Beatty uh, gay films that were coming out in the late 2000s that he felt that those films were done in a more boring, straight, accepting kind of style, mm-hmm. whereas what Friedkin's doing here is much more thorny and much more interesting using the same community and that he would almost rather see this depiction of <laughs> right. of, of of the gay community, uh, even if it does, tr- you know... Um, travel in some stereotypes and yeah. and and other things like it's that. It's definitely balancing a fine line for sure. Yeah, yeah, especially when you're t- t- tackling a gay serial killer cuz the actual yeah. killer himself. You don't you want to be very careful to not paint obviously this sort of uh <laughs> this sort of oh it's it's freaky and it's murderous. Right. right. And right. and I think that that's what some people claim the film does. But, if, but I, think, I think it's I, I what think, Jacob said, where it's like, you yeah, know, what, like he's stabbing them in the back. It's, yeah. it's, it's he's stabbing his own sexuality. He's almost and uh, it's very subjective to Pacino's to character too. Due to whatever. There's a number of things. But I, I don't think it's saying like it's not anti-gay by any means. If anything, it's saying like. Don't I, repress yourself. You know what I mean. If anything, be outspoken and be yourself. I, I, I think that's just saying. I think that is the key way. to the film. That Pacino's <laughs> character Steve has is is wrestling with a repression that he wasn't even aware that he had. Sure. And I think that the reason he kind of goes into this descent psychologically is because now he ha- he has knowledge of urges that he has that he doesn't know he can take back to his other lifestyle. Yeah. And I think that's where... He's we- got a girlfriend. And, 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 and that, that, I think, is where we get to the very end of the film, which a lot yeah. of people talk about, which is Pacino returning home to his girlfriend. He thinks that he's caught the killer, but also Ted has been murdered, and he's, and he's not really sure... And the murderer, or quote-unquote murderer, is saying, I didn't kill anybody. This yeah. is bullshit. Like, yeah. You know. Yeah, so he's it, denying it. So there's there's sort of a uh, very vague 
then you get the four. The, break, the, the killer, where the the killer, the Pacino, Pacino, and Ted's boyfriend are all sort of interlocked in this sort of mm-hmm. uh, situation of carnage, and he goes home and realizes that he has these urges, and he has no place to put them now that he's done. Yeah. And the look that he gives in the mirror while his girlfriend is for the first time trying on uh, his little leather outfit that he brought home uh, really says it all. And Pacino, it's maybe the one part in the film that is the most soulful for Pacino because a lot of the film he's reacting. And this is Mm, like, it's heartbreaking to watch, actually, the final the final scene of this. And there's so much to it. I mean, you don't know exactly is he I mean is he the killer you know like did he did he do some of these terrible things uh is he gonna go back is he apparently Friedkin's other footage is much more clear and it says that Pacino did kill Ted or something like that it's called it (laughs) but but we're not we're not we're not wrestling with that film we're wrestling with the film that we got yeah (laughs) sort of like sort of like Rambo you know (laughs) I just there's so many clues to it that I just I I just have to I have to think it When the movie ended, that's what I got the vibe of, uh, was that Pacino was. All right. Well, this is the part, Jacob, where we enter the reductive rating round, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's where we remove all the nuance, all the words that we just talked about, and we take the film and we reduce it to a number between one and five. Uh, And if you want to give a brief reasoning, you can. For me, Cruising is a super easy four out of five. I almost pushed it all the way to the five. I think on a rewatch, I even could. Uh, But I do need to wrestle more with this film. (laughs) Uh, uh, But I'm really glad that you bought it uh, or that you brought it. And um, yeah, I just, I I love Friedkin's style in this. And I really Mm -hmm. think that the the Pacino arc uh, and dealing psychologically with repression and, and funneling that into sort of a stylistic slasher uh, is really powerful stuff. Uh, and it's one of the best things I've ever seen from Friedkin, who, you know, is a all around pretty great filmmaker. So yeah, I think it's saying a lot. Yeah. Damn son. Uh, <laughs> I apologize for interrupting, but isn't it since you're bringing up how great Friedkin it is, isn't it great that we didn't get Spielberg's version of this movie in 1976, which we oh. were supposed to get. No, that's was not true. Was he supposed true. to originally I, direct it? Really? Yeah, yeah in Holy 19... Shit. That would have right, been garbage. Right after Probably. Jaws, essentially, uh, actually, De Palma was adapting the book. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and he was... Uh, he and Spiel, with, But Spielberg was the one being offered to direct it just because Jaws was so successful... And at the time, he and Spielberg and Margot Kidder were actually all hanging out together in these leather bars in the mid-70s. Oh and God. then, obviously, Spielberg ended up passing on it. And then uh, De Palma went on to make Carrie instead. Oh. And then the the rights to the book kind of lapsed. And then it got to Friedkin you know, about three years later through Jerry Weintraub. Oh, that wow. is a little bit for you. Interesting. Yeah, well, I heard the De Palma bit, but I did not realize that that, that that he was workshopping it for Spielberg, which oh, is man. super interesting. How would that even be done? That, I can't even. Wow. I literally can't imagine it. I, I want to see it. I don't think I would have liked it though. <laughs> Jacob, what's uh, what's your rating on this one? Uh four point five. Yeah, nice, easy, nice. Uh, mine is gonna be a four out of five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of with you, Josh. Uh, I think it could possibly get to the five uh, on a rewatch. I really was surprised by this film. I've just never seen it. I've never even heard of it. Um, so just it just shocked me. 
uh, in all the best ways. And uh, yeah, I, I loved the visuals. I loved uh, Pacino's performance. I loved the ambiguous nature of the film and kind of what it was saying uh, about sexuality and, and things like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the really long cut of the movie would probably be really interesting to watch, but I'm almost I'm it. almost glad that we got well, this. It we, sounds like, like, did he expect to, to get that passed if it was explicit gay porn? You know what I mean? I, like, I, what, I, how would he be like, you're not going to let me throw this in the mainstream yeah, well, audience. Well, I, know, I mean, I know, obviously, I, dude. I don't think he expected he had to cut as much as he did, but because he had to cut 40 minutes, That's which is true. a that lot. That is a movie. lot, uh, unless it was just 40 minutes. Uh, like, like that was, that, that <laughs> was like the Rambo situation, ever. but it was also like Rambo when we talked about with First Blood, that I kind of like that there's hints of all this stuff in there. Yeah, and yeah. It, and it, it's left in the air um, for in this sort of, sort of more fractured, incoherent version of, of this um that I think really benefits the the themes and the and the characters. Yeah, for sure. Um well and let's also be real, like some of those scenes in like the cockpit, the gay bars and stuff, I mean they're basically a few penetration shots away from being <laughs> Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. There's, yeah. There's even that leering shot of the guy like greasing up his hand to fist a dude. <laughs> yeah. They're like, wow, we're getting real right now. <laughs> Yeah, no, they they do a lot with uh, with the camera and the cutting in this that I think would have made a much worse film. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's it's oh, it's man. some wild stuff. Watch, I don't I don't know who edited this, but I'm gonna look it up after we do yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was cruising. Uh, so what do you say? We moving on to uh, Vice Squad? Yeah, let's do it. Vice Squad. Newspapers only print it. Television can only record it. Now, one motion picture lets you experience it as it's never been shown before. Go. The Hollywood Vice Squad. The real story. Radar. Now playing at a theater near you. All right. We are talking Vice Squad, the 1982 uh, I, I mean, I, Wikipedia calls it an action crime drama film, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a little bit more. It, it defies the genre a little bit more than those ones do. Uh, but it's starring Wings Hauser, Season yeah. Hubley, and Gary Swanson. And it's directed by Gary Sherman, uh, the double Gary. This is a film that is, uh, I mean, I guess it's, it takes place, as we mentioned in the intro, on the Sunset Strip in, yeah. in, in Hollywood. And uh, I think at the time it was sort of advertised as a film that's really going to get into the, the uh, vice squad reality. Yeah. That they're going to really get into the mundane cop life of the sort of uh, sexual underworld on the, on the Hollywood Strip. Um, involving uh, prostitutes and involving drug trade and pimps and all kinds of fun. Um, (laughs) Just wholesome stuff. Yeah, the the plot vaguely is about a pimp who is a absolute psycho. Fucking crazy Uh, person. A mix between like a cowboy and the Terminator (laughs) uh, who also sings that opening song, Neon Slime. And the closing one too. He sings the opening and closing song and Mm. he's the singer. Nothing that, I don't don't know what that that means. (laughs) Yeah, I was Um, like, you made the rapist the singer of your intro song. That's pretty wild (laughs) stuff. But he uh, he abuses a young young prostitute um, in this really slimy way 
where he he sort of uh, he, he sweet talks her because she knows not to trust him, but he sweet talks his way into the room. And the second he gets into the room, the and he, second. Yeah. He's like, I can't believe how stupid you are. Yeah, you trusted me. And, again. He, and he, he pins her down and he basically scrambles her insides with a with a hanger. And it is horrifying uh, to watch. And basically what happens now, is that someone it, who does knows. It, does, is that what happens? I believe Because I thought happens. he just beat her. I didn't know if they mentioned that he actually no. rapes her with it. I, I, I think Jacob, maybe I, I, don't know I think if, he flat out sticks it and oh, spins damn. it around because I know that like I, I remember the last shot because I rewound it because yeah. I was like does he do what he what we're saying he possibly does and it just shows him hitting her but I don't okay. there could be dialogue that mentions that he went I don't further. remember for sure that was just what I got out of it and I think especially sure. especially because I mean, it could have been implied because sure. I think it's a little bit more clear when he tries to do it the second time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, well, this guy's clearly got a thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's super fucked up. But basically, the Vice Squad uh, ends up being on his tail, and they send in a undercover prostitute to sort of try to seduce him and maybe get his get his whereabouts. Um, but he sort of becomes aware that this is an undercover prostitute, and then it becomes literally just almost the Terminator, yeah, <laughs> where the girl, <laughs> where, where, where the police are just there trying to prevent him finding the girl or the girl running into him before it's too late and things happen. And he's pretty much unstoppable. And he is unstoppable. Like that bit where he drives, he, he, he has the, the girl hanging into the car and he's like yelling at her for information. And then he drives away with her feet hanging. Yeah, yeah, I was just, like, dog, just come here, just yeah. come here, just come here. Like he's, this guy's nuts. Like he, and, and uh, the performance by, by wings is, uh, absolutely insane yeah uh but jacob he goes for it yeah jacob you brought this film and you mentioned before recording that this is one of your top 10 films of all time yeah so walk us through this one walk us through your thoughts on this one because jamie and i were uh, a bit perplexed by this one uh me in 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 a good way i i felt that it was similar to another film that i really really love rolling thunder yeah, um, I got that vibe too. Yeah, so th- yeah. I feel like it just has a similar sort of straightforward plotting setup, but it does really interesting things inside the genre and inside the narrative conventions that it's working in. Um, so yeah, do you want to walk us through that one? Yeah, I think what I love, and it is, it's one of my top 10 movies of all time. Uh, if it wasn't for uh, Miami Vice, this would be my favorite cop movie of all time. Nice. Um, <laughs> We you, agree you on that one. definitely played yeah. uh, Josh's strength. Man, right? on the Heat episode last week, I tried to get some Miami Vice in there. Got a little bit in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, Man, there's always movie. room for Miami Vice. It's, <laughs> it's a masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, this movie, for me, kind of like the way that Cruising does, or even like the great cop movies of all time, like the stuff that Friedkin was making in the early 70s, like, uh, 70s, like French Connection, mm. um, or you know, that uh, Phil D'Antoni did with uh, the seven ups immediately after French connection um, or like how man would do uh, with, you know, thief, which isn't so much a cop movie as it is, you know, a heist movie, but just it's capturing a very specific time and place. And that's what it does best. It's not, to your guys' point, it's there's not a whole lot of narrative to it. Mm. No, like, yeah. You're just kind of there with these girls um, and with Ramrod, the psycho hillbilly pimp from hell, uh, <laughs> as he basically just runs through 
uh, his and he very much believes that this is his domain and nobody's there to fuck with him. Um, but for me, it's uh, kind of like cruising and kind of like I use the word to, to describe cruising as tangible. Like I feel when I watch this movie, like I feel the neon kind of on me and I smell the, the cheap beer and the, uh, all the, the fumes from these cars going up and down the strip as they're, these guys are trying to pick up these women you're in, you're on this terrible, like vinyl upholstery when you're sitting in these, uh, kind of beat cars with these cops. And like, it's just, it gets you there, man. And I think it gets you there because Sherman, before he you know made the movie he took an accelerated academy course and became a cop for 8 weeks before he made <laughs> vice squad he wow. it was one of the great things about the movie is that he basically got the script um, as a way to, to basically get away from horror movies because before this he had made uh, deathline uh, over in england and then he had made Dead and Buried almost a decade later, really, in between movies uh, because he had such a bad experience on Deathline. Uh, but both of these movies were very heavily butchered. Um, his original cuts you know, weren't released in theaters, at least in the United States. And he was just fed up. He almost left filmmaking to go back and make commercials and music videos well at the time they were called music films but that's what he <laughs> where he originally kind of came up from and he well, you, made, and you can tell that in some of the the lighting style in this especially because that's maybe the main difference between this and in cruising i kind of noticed is that he really takes advantage of the hollywood location uh yeah and, and being outside um <laughs> it's and, hot dude. and i mean it it yeah. helps too that he's got uh at the time which would have been Kubrick's cinematographer the guy who would have shot oh, really? the shining and Damn. Uh, <laughs> uh he did a couple others Barry Lyndon which is amazing i actually have the poster like right behind my head right now nice uh but the photography in this in particular is is awesome and it i think you're right that the the main appeal of this film is it really does feel lived in this particular space that mm. I, I feel like i've been to this space and maybe even seen more than people who have been in this space have seen yeah and i don't know that i wanted to see I it you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, i think there's something real interesting too just in the way that it actually represents uh prostitutes uh particularly season hubley's uh character princess um in that uh, one thing that sherman does really really well and he does this in all of these movies is that he very much defines his characters not so much through dialogue uh as he does through their environment and actions and like the spaces that he films them in mm. is that i love that we meet princess out in the suburbs with her daughter and the housekeeper coming and obviously something's wrong. She's like hurrying out of the house and you can't figure out why this mom's so worried. And then she gets the, the phone call from Ginger, who's like a fellow prostitute who's working on the strip at the time, um, who's escaping from Ramrod. And she is the one who unfortunately, you know, gets beat with the uh, coat hanger pimp stick um, and kind of kicks off the entire narrative of the movie. But like you see her in this, space that's obviously far far away 
from the strip. Oh yeah, she's, and, she's um, in suburbia and she's yeah. getting a phone call and it's almost like a completely different film on the other end of the that line. That was actually the most shocking yeah. part to me because I was like, you know, she's got a daughter, she's in the sur- suburbs. Uh, I thought she was just speaking to a friend that she knows that's in this life that she's maybe trying to help or, or get out or whatever. And then there's that line where she says to her daughter or to the to the nanny, which is don't call her princess because that's her street name. Yeah. And they don't even yeah. know that. And it all kind of connects <laughs> like later on. And I thought that that was a really cool opening to not give you the answers right away. Um, well, I didn't even know she was a prostitute till like, you know, 20 minutes in. So. Well, and then you get the Clark Kent Superman transition. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's just that slow with the slow chugging guitar rock as she's just pulling up these purple stockings. Yeah. And you realize you're in this locker room and she's just transformed into this like really fierce woman of the night. And it's mm-hmm. so for me, it's one of the great uh, character introductions of all time. Like I remember I actually saw this movie for the first time on the big screen in the middle of a, uh, like a film marathon, an exploitation movie marathon. And when that happened, like my mind like fell out of my nose because (laughs) I was like, holy fucking shit. Like, because I was expecting kind of the same thing as I, I was expecting this very low minded, smutty, uh, cop movie, and then all of a sudden I'm getting this really amazing bit of character building without like a single line of dialogue, and you're yeah. just like, wow. And then she's on the street and she's hustling. Is she? I love how incredibly independent that she is because she flies solo, and like the moment she steps out of that locker room, that one pimp is hollering at her and basically <laughs> being like, hey, baby, come sign up with me. And she's like, motherfucker, I don't need you. I'm and freelance. I'm independent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then she's out on the street and a dude's offering, he basically holds up a six pack and she's like, yeah, you can golden shower me for the right price. Like, she, <laughs> I love it's Coors like, Light. It's a total superhero moment. And you're just watching <laughs> This is so fucking cool, man. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, it just, it, once you meet Ramrod, the movie just shoots into a whole other universe of insane because Wings Hauser, who, it sounds like you guys are fairly unfamiliar with Wings Hauser's work. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. unfamiliar with Wings. This was actually the first time, I think, unless I've seen him not knowing in another yeah, film. Yeah, that's very possible. But this was this was the because it says he's in the Insider, and I've seen the Insider multiple times, and I don't know that I know exactly who he is in that one. But this was the first time I particularly noticed a performance of his, and I was blown away. He goes uh, for it. Like yeah. it's he's one of the most evil sacks of shit <laughs> I've ever seen on film. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, and also uh, worth noting, Wingshauser, father of Cole Hauser, who is the villain in Too Fast, Too Furious, and oh, nice. <laughs> several other movies. Uh, but he, if you guys like this performance, like that's just Wingshauser. Like that's that's just who he what is. his performances are like <laughs> as you kind of go along, because he actually became kind of a B movie legend. I mean, like I'm looking at his. Uh, and even worked, you know, in some A pictures, like he was in Norman Mailer's uh, Tough Guys Don't Dance with Ryan O'Neill and Isabella Rossellini. Um, but also then went and inked a deal with PM, Inter- PM Entertainment in uh, the early 90s to basically write and direct his own C-grade action pictures, which are... <laughs> 
if you can track those things down on VHS, good lord, they're, they're all <laughs> face melters. He made a movie called We Screen. Uh, we screened it here at Austin uh, not too long ago. Um, a movie called The Art of Dying in 1991, <laughs> where he. Joseph Murphy, who is like a, a directed kind of VH, early directed VHS kind of kingpin, he made a lot of uh, really, really scummy LA movies. But Wings uh, directed the movie, starred in the movie, did uh, all of the music for the movie. And <laughs> wow. it's one of the craziest fucking films to where it's just Wings Hauser goes on a hunt against uh, guys making snuff films in LA and it's just it's it's primo trash. That's <laughs> awesome. I don't think you can find it outside of VHS but it's it's <laughs> one of the great ones. But this is what what's amazing is that um Gary Sherman he talked I got to interview Gary Sherman last year for about an hour for a career retrospective thing and nice. he talked to me about uh casting wings because he Met Wings on the set of Dead and Buried because Wings was married to uh, one of the actresses who was a supporting character in Dead and Buried. Um, I can't think of her name at the moment. Uh, but basically, Nancy Locke was his wife that he was married to uh, on Dead and Buried. And then he the way he related to me was basically that I just started talking to him and I realized that he had a bunch of anger inside of him <laughs> and I wanted to use this anger. And I was like, Oh, like he was just like ramrod naturally. And he's like, kind of, <laughs> like, that's the most terrifying. I just walked thing into I've the restaurant. Heard. He was already choking a, a human being. Yeah. It was crazy. I'm like, this yeah. guy's the guy. Well, that, that's funny that you bring that up because Gary Sherman, I think, also casted uh, uh, season, season for that, no? Because uh, she was going through something, to, she was going through a divorce with Kurt Russell or something when she oh, made this really? film. And he yes, was just like... She was going, she was going through a, a divorce with Kurt Russell and Wings was coming off of, at the time, he was Greg Foster on The Young and the Restless. That was what he <laughs> okay. was known for. Was he and the they, bad guy in Young and the Restless? They're all no, bad guys. Uh, yeah, the <laughs> eventually they all become bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was a love interest. He was like a, a milquetoast oh, love interest. Oh, in this boy. <laughs> but that's what he said he wanted to get away from is that mm. he was like he had all this anger that he just wanted to use. And I basically exploited that. And <laughs> that's awesome. That's amazing. But Avco Embassy at the time who funded the picture uh, didn't want – him to cast uh, Wingshauser in the role. They didn't think because he was Greg Foster on The Young and the Restless. Um, <laughs> and what he basically had to do was bring uh, Wingshauser into an audition with the whole board of Avco Embassy. And before they went into audition, he said, I don't want you to come in here and, as Wings. I literally want you to enter the room and I just want you to be Ramrod. From like oh, the damn. moment you walk in and apparently he walked into the room and started – I have – and I have a tape of this somewhere of Gary Sherman basically impersonating Wings Hauser of he basically sneered at the entire board of Avco Embassy who like – you know, at the time was funding all of John Carpenter's movies like The Fog and Escape. If you can find that, please send yeah. that to us. Yeah, for the love <laughs> of God, yes. I need to see that. 
he basically sneered at the whole board and just went, I hear you motherfuckers think I can't play this role and walked up to the guy who was running the studio at the time and started choking him by his tie. <laughs> he did and, choke and, somebody. That's that's amazing. Amazing. Like, yeah, you literally made that joke. I'm so happy. <laughs> the guy who uh, was running the studio, his name was Bob Ramey. He's one of the, the executive producers on Vice Squad. He basically looked at Wings Hauser and just like, you win, you're cast. <laughs> Please stop killing Please stop my joking. friend. <laughs> Yeah, like it's like I, I think well, the, you made me some like of the this behind movie the more. stuff is <laughs> just crazy. Yeah, he is just a force you, of nature just, in this film. Yeah. He, he almost single-handedly dismantles it, and not in a yeah. sense that he ruins it, in a sense that like this film, in especially in like conjunction with uh, Cruising, which is a film that I felt was uh, very interestingly fractured and mm. um, at times intentionally incoherent. This movie is a lot more clean and the tra trajectory is a lot more laid out for you until Ramrod enters the frame. And then yeah. and then and then Every it's, scene it's him, so spontaneous it's that you're just like what what's he going to do? Is yeah. he just going to burn everything down and then the movie's over? Like you don't like he's he's wild. He's a maybe, wild man. Maybe that was something that that not necessarily turned me off but steered me in the other direction from giving it the the yeah. the better yeah. rating. Uh, we will get to it, but was it, Maybe it was because I focused on him the whole movie. So every time I found it went back everybody to the other else stuff? was kind of like. Oh, see, but she's so good too, it. though. She is the girl that plays Princess. Yeah. Uh, what's yeah. Her, what's her act? The actress's name again? Season. Season. Or season. That's a, season. Whatever. Season Hubley. Season okay. Hubley. That's what. She it is. she is very good. Um, but it it was just with him. It was it, just, it, 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 it was Gary Swanson. He steals every damn scene <laughs> that he's in. You know, he's just <laughs> killing it, and and he's such a piece of shit. And he just does it so well. Like the scene where he's in the in the restaurant, and <laughs> and like, the, well, there was something I think he, we said earlier that he's in like total control the whole time. Yeah. And and that scene is definitely. I mean, he's in a public place. There there's there's people around them. I I don't even know. Possibly in the background, there's people looking at them too, uh, directed to. Yeah. And he's choking her. He's smacking her. He's like, you want this? Like like. But I'm like, yeah, leave it for the bedroom, man. Like, what are you, why are you in a public restaurant right now? Like, it's oh, just, yeah, that, when, when, when and he, that's the part you should you should clear up too for people who haven't seen it is the fact that he's he's smacking her and choking her, but he's doing it to like seduce her. Yeah, like, exactly. Hey. Which is such an oddball thing, but yeah, it does. Yeah, it, it, and it's not. He doesn't like. It's not like she in like you know shows something like she's into that or anything. He just starts doing it like that's his go-to <laughs> move. Like it's like instead of a pickup line, he oh, just yeah, goes up flirting, to a girl man. and just he's like flirting. smacks her yeah. and goes like, you're coming home. He's like, like what do you got? Can you take my hit? Yeah, like, it's, it's crazy. Just, it's wild. Though. It's absolutely crazy. <laughs> well, and how about, how about the scene where they, because uh, again, I'm guessing most people who are listening to this haven't seen the movie, but like mm. the main trajectory of the plot is that he kills Ginger and then season Hubley's princess uh, gets very broken up about it and goes on basically starts working for these cops um to go and take down ramrod and she's undercover when he's doing all of this wearing a wire and they're like listening yeah. to yeah. it from the car <laughs> yeah of, of him just be like yeah bitch you like that and you're like oh fuck man like do we gotta and, go in like fuck yeah, like, is this part of it he's <laughs> oh, at the restaurant I wish that there was a scene where she was like, "Here, the safe word is like yellow." Yeah, like, is, <laughs> dude, I, I love like, that you said I that because that was one of my biggest things when I was watching this. I'm like, 
they didn't tell her anything if she gets in trouble. They said nothing. They're just like, yeah, yeah, just we'll figure it out. We'll we'll figure it out along the way. It's fine. (laughs) And that's and that was the thing is that when she goes in and he actually, you know, does take her home because obviously she does have to go home with him to try and bust him. Right. And they're listening to him continue to try and seduce her in. The, uh, like his apartment, his crazy wallpaper, like Kubrickian wallpapered <laughs> pimp apartment. And when they finally burst in and like to arrest him, he doesn't just freak out. He grabs her, headbutts one of the cops with her head, <laughs> with her and head. Then grabs her again, and then throws a stool at them before yeah. like trying to jump out the fucking window. Oh, yeah. And he's in the second floor. Yeah. He's like, he's just like, fuck it. Just jumps out the window. The dude's oh a God. powerhouse. He can't be stopped. He's just uh, a hurricane of destruction. And eventually he is stopped, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. not, but, but not after. And one thing we got to get to before we get to the, the climax, I think we got to talk about all these dudes who are picking up the prostitutes. Cause these oh, scenes, man. these scenes were the, <laughs> the most fun that I had in the movie because I was watching it and I was like, I love the bit where all of the prostitutes are just hanging out at the bar. They're having a casual thing. And I love that. It's just this like friends sitting down, colleagues sitting down and they're just being like, man, men are weird, huh? And they're just like, (laughs) sometimes I just want to have like normal sex. And then an old dude wants to lick dirt off my toes. And then that guy didn't even want to do it. He was just like, I just want to lick your toes. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But the, the weirdest one and the one that blew me away was the, the fake d- funeral. The fake funeral. I was like, oh, seriously? I for- somehow I forgot about that. Because that scene was... And as soon as she breaks his character, kink, he freaks the fuck out, His kink too. is like a, a, a hot girl in a wedding dress at his wake. And I was like, what? That's <laughs> so specific. And there's no scenario where that would ever be real. You know what I mean? Like, most kinks, they come from some type <laughs> of reality. It's obviously an exaggeration, whatever. There's got to be something. But... but <laughs> But you're dead. There's a bride for some reason. Like, wh- where did this come from? And then he's going to scare the <laughs> shit out of her. And yeah, like, that's like, because she can't know what is about to happen. And he's so furious that she talks and ruins the kink for him. Yeah. Like, I was. I, Sit, get her out of here. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I think these scenes, too. Well, A, I think you guys are starting to get out why I love this movie so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, think so I'm out to, I think I'm starting to understand but, it now. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a. Uh, I think there's kind of a, a, a uh, let's say, a dichotomy or, or a conflicting views kind of at play with um, the, these scenes with the, the prostitutes and the Johns is that you have Gary Sherman who uh, – Gary Sherman during these eight weeks, like that's what he did. Like he went out and he interviewed prostitutes, Johns, pimps. Um, and actually even went and role play with role played with cops and had them arrest him and question him. And like, so he could just get a feel for it. But then also the fantastical elements. If you notice one of the writing credits on the movie is a guy named Robert Vincent O'Neill. Now, Robert Vincent O'Neill was kind of an exploitation movie lifer. Like he made uh, this really cool movie called Wonder Women in the Philippines for Roger Corman. But then the movies he's most known for is uh, the Angel Trilogy, which have you guys seen the Angel films before? They're from the early, early 90s through the uh, or early uh, 80s through the 90s. I think he made Angel uh, the first angel, maybe the same year that Vice Squad came out. Uh, but 
regardless, uh, the Angel movies were also prostitute films in L.A., but they were teenage prostitute movies where Angel oh, wow. was the, the main character to where she lived this double life a lot like Princess. She was a high school student by day, always dressed up in her little uh, outfit. And then by night, she was just this underage dream girl for all these dudes. But she, that movie is a lot more fantastical than this movie is. It, it, it has a lot more of those scenes along the lines of like the funeral stuff um, to where – like I'm still she, not over that scene. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and she basically like becomes this Avenger uh, as like because she gets taken in by this very cartoonish family of street people that she kind of hangs out with. One of her best friends is a cop. Um, oh man, the guy's name. He played the the comedian in all that jazz from the movie. Cliff Gorman was all like right. the. That's like her best friend. And Susan Tyrell plays this insane like street woman who becomes her uh, mother that she basically lives with. Um, but it's just you kind of hear these voices kind of colliding together to where like Sherman's trying to make this very gridded, rooted in reality police procedural. And then O'Neill's voice is kind of filtering through with some of the more garish fantastical and bizarre aspects that are worked in that I thought is, it really adds for like this interesting voice to the picture. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. But then uh, to kind of jump back to Ramrod, uh, one of the, the weird, yeah, I guess we got to get to the climax here. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the climax happens. I mean, Ramrod, uh, one of the cool stories that Sherman told me is that, uh, when they were shooting the movies, they, it obviously, uh, the whole thing almost takes place at night, I think, except for the prologue. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 sure. it, it, it seems like it takes place almost like overnight. Yeah. Just yeah. One, one wild ass night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all they did was shoot at night for this movie for the most part. And what they would do is they would go out and they would shoot till three or four in the morning. But Wings was so riled up and like intense as Ramrod is that he wouldn't. He made Sherman basically make a deal with him is that he was like, please don't let me go home to my wife and my kid as Ramrod. You need to take me out. Well, and they would go out drinking until six or seven in the morning afterwards just so uh, – Yeah, so Wings could basically cool down and come back to being like a normal human being. Well, the normal version of Wings Hauser, I guess. Yeah, yeah, whatever that is. (laughs) That's crazy. yeah, you you get to that insane climax too, to where like I never actually thought about the Terminator comparison until you guys just said that, but <laughs> it kind of is like the fucking Terminator. Well, th- that's yeah. just it, and I think I think you've got at why his performance feels that way because I didn't know that, but he just does. Fe- he has such a presence to him as he's as he's moving through the frames that you're you're totally captivated by him and he has he has so much control almost over what's happening that you do feel like it's just this dude is going to do whatever whether it's in the script or not someone's getting choked out (laughs) even when he calls cuts there's a risk yeah and and that's what it feels like especially when we get to the climax and finally all three groups kind of intersect where the, the the vice squad and princess and ramrod um, ramrod seems like he's going to do what he did to ginger to princess uh, the vice squad shows up and the dude won't die 
Yeah. Like he, no. they even pin him with a car at one point and he still gets one last. Like, like it actually <laughs> feels like the climax of the Terminator where yeah. she, where she's just Comes like, I blew times. you up. I like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you've chased me through here. I've removed every bit of you and you're still coming back. And even honestly, even when he shot him in the head, even when he, uh, yeah, he, he hits maybe. him with the car <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, he's still reaching for his gun, even though, you know, if he moves that car back, his insides are going to fall out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the dude's still reaching for his gun. And then he shoots him in the head, and I was like, and if, you know, it's, it's a really great moment. The way that that scene is shot and cut is excellent, where he gets hit in the head there. But even then, I was like, that's not going to keep wings down. <laughs> yeah, Hauser's <laughs> coming back, yeah. bro. <laughs> He's going to choke you out with that headshot wound. Uh, yeah, and it leads to a great sort of final situation where that doesn't happen literally, mm. but it sort of happens implicitly with what uh, one of the best moments in the film is Princess talking to uh, the the vice squad at the end just being like you know like you're not gonna change the streets yeah like you're, you're yeah. like you know this this wings you know there's gonna be other wings and there's gonna be other people like wings yeah here. Can or I ramrod say, I, I also guess. thought like the it, I I don't know if the movie necessarily paints him as a hero because I don't think it really does but he does. Like the cop, yeah. In my opinion, besides shooting Hauser, does like fucking next to nothing. Well, see, just but I, I think sending the prostitute, like, see, that you feels, go do all my work. See, I, but I think that feels real. I feel like for that's sure, intentional. Sure. I feel like he's saying that she's the one who's and doing that's the work, what putting her life on the line. This kind of shit. And I mean, like, there's still you know, there's there's work to be done. There's organizing sure, to be done. Course. But it's definitely a case. It of just like, seems like they're they're holding no risk to what they're doing and they're just like we'll just get some prostitutes to to bait him out and then whatever happens well happens. And, and, and i think that's important in the finale when For she's sure. like almost done and she's just like you've done nothing here yeah like right uh and i think it's and i think that that's really important mm-hmm. i think it's a nice thematic kind of uh, we didn't get to cover this when we talked about cruising but i think the two movies do this really well is that the cops don't view these people necessarily as people. No, it's very impersonal. Uh, yeah. You're, you're absolutely they, uh, right. Well, like with cruising, like there's a real political element. Like they even have those scenes to where like Paul Servino is getting leaned on by like the chief of police saying like, hey, man, if you don't get these gay killings like cleared up, like we don't fucking care who did it. It's just get it done by the Democratic convention or you're out of a job. Right, and like right. even when Servino like is relaying that information to uh, – uh, Pacino's character like he's Pacino on point is like I can't like this isn't the job I signed up to do and he's like you just got to get used to it like you're going to take people down you're going to do this every day like you can't basically without saying it like you can't look at them like people and Vice Squad's very much the same way is that like to them I think they're very good cops but they're also very good in that they they don't put themselves in well at least Walsh doesn't put himself in danger. Like princess is very they're, much. They're his. not the show off movie cop, right? The dude yeah. who's like going to play by his own rules and do it. This is a dude who is just genuinely good at doing by the book work in his own yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. But he does care there. Mm. It shouldn't, you know, because a scene he, where they have almost a little moment there where mm-hmm. it almost yeah. seems like she, he likes her in a, in a, in a kind of a romantic. Way. I think he respects the work that she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a respect, and she even says to him, "We exist in the same toilet." Like, they, they, <laughs> which they, is a really uh, game. That's a great line. It's a great way of putting they, it. Uh, they, they, so there's, they're the only thing that's really separating them is the badge because, like, he cares about them. He doesn't want to see human life be lost or anything. But at the same time, if she can help him do his job, 
she he's going to exploit that to the to the you know as far as he can possibly take that and i really respect that about the movie is that like these cops aren't necessarily good people they're just fucking cops man yeah they're doing a job they're just trying to get it yeah Yeah. and they I i think they also recognize that like there's I know I keep going back to this interview, but like what I what I talked to Sherman about is that he said the worst people that he met uh, were white pimps when he was out <laughs> in the street. As he was like, you know, you just met them because a lot of the times it felt like they made a choice to be white pimps, and which I found really really interesting. Also, kind of racist, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, but uh, I understood what he was basically getting at. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, to me, I think that Swanson's character Walsh like sees them the same way is that like Ramrod and his ilk are going to come back and they're the worst things. But if he can take at least one out, he's done his job, yeah, you know, yeah. especially and I, Ramrod. And it's, it's just interesting <laughs> that they present that. And then they also present princess's point on it, which is that like, look, you haven't really fundamentally changed my yeah. life too much. Yeah. Uh, You've helped to get rid of one dickhead. Yeah. So there's still plenty yeah, we'll of see dickheads how that goes. to go. Anyway, uh, I think <laughs> we're going to enter yeah. the reductive rating round on this one. Uh, for me, Vice Squad, you know what? You almost convinced me to upgrade even higher, but it's going to get the four for now. But Vi- uh, I'm definitely going to revisit it now with all this in mind, because honestly, having the discussion with you about it has made me appreciate a lot more that's happening in it. Yeah. Uh, than than I did before, and I I I really loved uh, when I did a little bit of research finding that Scorsese considered this the best film uh, of the year, the year that it came out, and he apparently got in a public fight at a dinner <laughs> uh, where he said the Academy didn't have the guts to recognize this one. That, Damn. And, and coming from Scorsese, who's also a dude who's obviously all about sort of the tangible place, and especially at that time when he was doing things like Taxi Driver, yeah. this does genuinely feel like a movie uh, that <laughs> that maybe suggests... Travis Pickle wasn't wrong. You know, you never, you never yeah. know. Uh, it's, it's sort of, it's really interesting. I think this, this is an, this is an awesome, awesome um, sleaze picture. One of the mm-hmm. best uh, uh, that we've had someone bring on the show, and it was a lot of fun to talk about. And oh man, that performance by Wings. I know we've yeah. lauded it. I'm a gonna bunch. have to dive into and, his and seasons too. Now. I don't want. I shouldn't go under the radar because it's just. She's so excellent, but that yeah, dude, you can't look away from him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think this is a really, really great film. We already addressed most of the major points on on, uh, uh, on, on why it's great. Mm-hmm. Jacob, for you, I mean, I, I don't even know why I'm asking. Yeah, this I is a five, right? <laughs> five. Yeah, Easy. it's a five. Awesome. Uh, and before uh, that, where can people find your interview with Gary Sherman? Because I might want to read up on that, too. It's on Birth Movies Death. It was from last year. It's called Exploitations Bergman, a career conversation (laughs) with uh, Gary Sherman. Well, I've been convinced to read that and check out more of Sherman's films. Uh, But for you, Jamie. Uh, I'm, I, I think I'm going to give it a four now. Oh, you got bumped yeah, up. Yeah, I think. Jamie I think came into the show a little unsure. Yeah. He talked to me before and he was like, I don't know what to make of this one. Yeah, it was a three. Um, but you, you make but, a great case, Jacob. I think, I think, yeah, you, 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 this conversation has made me <laughs> like the film a lot more. Uh, I'm definitely going to revisit it. I'm going to like, for me, it's hard to say like four because I gave it the three and I haven't yeah. rewatched it yet, but I really think that I could for this now it came that out I of kind it more of, with a new feel- perspective. I think what, what, what 
maybe initially, I don't know if it was turned me off, but just kind of steered me in, in the other direction was this was one of the first films that really felt like, uh, that we've done that felt less, I don't know what you'd want to call it. I, like mainstream, like there, it didn't seem like there was as big of a budget, uh, oh, with yeah. this one. You well, know I, mean, I mean, a couple it, of them it felt like here. a true mm. exploitation film. I guess maybe that's what it is. And yeah. I'm not, I wasn't quite used to that because everything we've done uh, pretty much. Well, you kind of had that been, issue with Rolling Thunder too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I, I did for that one, mm-hmm. that one right away, mm. but you're right. Rolling Thunder had that same vibe. You know what? Rolling Thunder would be the best comparison, uh, that we've done previously, uh, with, with this film. And it was just, maybe it was that the dryness that the film has, mm. you know, the restraint. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, you know, you have other films that we're talking about with like raw deal and then you have the, you know, just, just craziness. And Jacob, have you have... ever seen raw deal? Sorry. We're going to, we're going to make this go a little longer. Have you seen raw deal? I have seen raw deal. That's a movie, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's fantastic. I we, love that. We, we watched it for the first time to do it with dirty Harry, just because we, uh, we, we thought that the plots were sort of vaguely similar. Uh, you know, just a, a, a dude who, uh, you know, plays by his own rules, maybe suspended for a little bit of police brutality. Uh, but we, we, di- that. We, 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 <laughs> we we discovered with Raw Deal that that movie has nothing to do with that. Plot. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, let's get Arnold to be suave, but not really at all. Oh, yeah, man. If you're going to infiltrate the Chicago mafia or whatever, Arnold Schwarzenegger you're going to get the go. biggest least American man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's stealth. He's a master of stealth. Oh, that, but dude, we, we had a lot of fun with that one. Yeah. Uh, and but I think I, overall, I think Rolling Thunder was probably the, the, the closest to this kind of film uh, in the sense of tone. That we've talked that. about so far on the show. So, yeah, absolutely. so I guess it just kind of threw me for a loop a little bit. But now that we've had this conversation, I, I, I'm thinking it's Well, you know what? I think that that's our bad. I think we need to do more more films more films like this because yeah maybe yeah. we got it we got a deep dive into some more so jacob if you ever got recommendations for us to go into the uh or some filmmakers to get deeper into some of these exploitation uh we would love to hear them but for now yes. we got all our ratings out so i yeah. think that's going to do it for this week's show jacob thanks so much for for coming on it was a lot of fun talking these two films i really enjoyed both of them uh yeah if you've got anything to plug this is the time to do it um, I would tell you, I mean, yeah, obviously check out, uh, the Gary Sherman interview, but I also, I mean, for you guys too, I, I do have a long running column on birth movies. Oh, death dude, I'm a big Savage fan. Stack. Yep. I read it every that week is all, or every two weeks. All of what <laughs> we're talking about, just straight up insane movie. I mean, sometimes it's art house shit, but mostly it's this insane exploitation type nonsense, um, that's on there. And I mean, that would be about it. I mean, I guess last little uh, tidbit I guess you should know about me. When you walk into my house, the first thing you actually see is a framed Australian day bill for Vice Squad. Nice. So, <laughs> this also explains why I picked this movie. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh. I'm glad you introduced it because it's, it's something that I don't think I would ever yeah. just – just see and go, oh, I'm going to No, it was a huge that. motivation for and the now, show yeah, was to explore my, some of these ones. It opened my mind a little bit. Uh, and I'm, I'm interested in seeing more films that are that are tonally like this. So Yeah, because this is the American version, but we kind of had a little bit of that when Andrew brought the Australian ones, The Long Weekend and Razorback. Those are pretty, sure. yeah. pretty uh, exploitation. That was a lot of fun. For sure. Um, Those movies are great. I actually oh, yeah. I listened to that episode. That episode was really good. 
Oh, thanks, oh, we appreciate man. it. Yeah, uh, it was a fun one. <laughs> so that'll be it for, for this week's show. Thanks again so much, guys, uh, for listening. If you guys uh, want to give us that good old rating on iTunes, we'd super appreciate it for everyone who's listening out there. And for patrons uh, who are subscribed on patreon.com slash podcast, we are going to be back next week with a, oh my god, a musical. sci-fi horror musical oh, yeah. double feature of Rocky Horror Picture Show and Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Uh, a pretty requested uh, double feature. Uh, and But two weeks from now, we're actually going to be continuing in a bit of the musical realm. We're going to have another special guest on, and we're going to be talking Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise... Oh, and cool. a movie called Legend of 1900, which I haven't seen. No, I haven't even heard uh, of that. It might be actually. a little, it's, it sounds a little bit more dramatic uh, okay. and maybe prestige than we usually do. Cool. But it's paired with De Palma. So what am I going to do? I'm going to say no? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's what you guys can expect over the next two weeks. Thanks so much for listening and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy, everybody.